The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and guests and in no way represent the state of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Historical Society, or the Oklahoma State Historic Preservation Office. After a lifetime of ADD-induced hyperfocusing, I have decided to share the things that fascinate me. I'm Jack, and welcome to Musings of an ADD Mind. Hey everybody, it's Editor Jack from the future. I wanted to uh, just give a slight warning that uh, the previous recording software I was using was giving me issues. And when I first was uh, talking with Sai, it was horribly echoey. And so I used a different uh, recording platform. And it also had its issues, but I didn't, of course, realize it until I got into the editing process. So for that, I apologize. I'm still looking for a better recording solution when I have a guest on. And then also I want to say, I, I really want to thank Sai for coming on. He is incredibly passionate about history and the history of Mesopotamia and the Levant. And well, he's passionate about history in general. And I was really happy that he uh, agreed to come on the show and talk to me for as long as he did, and um, I really thank him for that. I hope you enjoy uh, the podcast. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. This is your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. So when I decided that I was going to start this podcast, when my children convinced me to do it, I knew that eventually I would be talking about history, and I immediately knew that I had to have Sai from History with Sai YouTube channel on, because his channel is awesome if you love history. And I thought, well, I'll reach out, and the worst he can tell me is no, and at best, he will say yes. And he said yes. So, without further ado, here's Sai from History with Sai. Hey, Jack. Thanks so much. Uh, great to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, yeah, it's uh, where I'm at. It's kind of, oh, weather's all right. It's been raining and then you get the sun and it's kind of, it's going well. It's, it's a good day. It's a nice uh, Saturday afternoon. You're out in Oklahoma, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. It yeah. It, it's currently like 85 degrees out here. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. So yeah. So first of all, I just want to thank you for having me on the show. It's always just really nice to you know, talk to other creators and just talk about, uh, I don't get to talk about history with other people. I know I have a channel where I, and actually that's why I started the channel because I kind of needed a creative outlet for that. And uh, it's great because I, I didn't realize that there were so many other people that just kind of had the same interest in history that I do. So that's just, and that's, I guess how, you know, I get to meet people like you Um you know, through that. So it's in that sense, it's just been a dream come true because I, in my family, I'm really the only one that is very passionate about history in general. I, I understand that. I'm, I'm the island in my family like that too. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so what's on your mind? Okay. Well, for me, I'm of Scottish ancestry and it's on both sides of my genealogy, mom and dad. And that's uh -huh. sort of what piqued my interest in Scotland to the point of annoyance to friends and a lot of money spent on kilts. So my <laughs> kilts are very expensive, by the way, if you don't know that. 
Um, so no, I, is it something yeah. similar with you that got you in interested in the history of the area now called the, the Middle East? Yeah, sure. Um, actually, yeah, kind of, yes. Because so my name, I mean, the channel is called History with Cy, but my name is Cyrus. So Cy was my nickname. And Cyrus was a was a Persian king, and that's really all I knew about him. I I was you know there comes a time when you know as, as one gets older they start asking questions about okay well who am I what's you know where am I from what's my um, what's my story kind of thing and I sort of started with my name and I knew that it was the name of a Persian king and my parents really liked the name. So they gave me the name. But other than that, I didn't know much about it. So then I started researching more about it. And I said, Oh, Cyrus wasn't just a king, but he's a, he's a pretty famous king. He was a pretty, and he, he was, was a king, badass king, bad, badass king, but also like a, for lack of a better term, quite a noble king, um, at least the way that he's been portrayed in various documents, whether it's in, you know, the Hebrew Bible, old Testament, um, or even through, various documents that have been found in what's today Iraq. Um, for example, this one document called the Cyrus Cylinder, where basically he is saying that, you know, when I entered, when I took over the city of Babylon, I made sure that the people were not harassed, uh, that everything, you know, went back to normal, that, you know, the temples were not looted. Because in those days, especially when a conqueror or a conquering army would come into a city it was almost a rite of passage to essentially ransack the city, raid the temples and do all sorts of, you know, nasty things to the inhabitants as kind of, uh, it, you know, they're spoils of war, basically. And so when Cyrus entered Babylon, he sort of forbid that. And uh, it wasn't just in Babylon, but it was, uh, you know, in other areas that he acquired as well. And so much so that later writers, for example, Herodotus, even credited him with being this, the ideal ruler. They, he said that, you know, if there's one person that any man or any ruler should follow, it's the example of Cyrus. And it's really very cool. interesting because in those days, especially when Herodotus was writing, the Greeks and the Persians were at war in the conflict called the, what we call the Greco-Persian Wars. And Herodotus was kind of writing he, you know, he was a very uh, inquisitive person and he was writing essentially that, okay, well, how did the Greeks and the Persians come to war with each other? And in those days, um, you know, the Greeks themselves, they, they felt that they, um, everybody feels that their own culture is superior to others. Not everyone, but I mean, in those days, you know, people were very proud of their tribe or their place of origin and uh, in fact, even Herodotus talks about this in, there's a passage in the histories, which is his book, the book that he wrote, or we translated as the histories. I think it's called something else in Greek, um, where all of these different peoples are brought to in front of the King Darius the Great. And they're just kind of looking at all different sort of, for example, the Indians have this one practice that's sort of abhorrent to the Greeks. And then the Greeks have this practice, which is kind of strange for the for you know other people, and they're just kind of going back and forth. And the the conclusion is basically that everyone feels that their practices, their culture is you know is is better. So the question he was asking, because a lot of Greeks were like, well, you know, we we have we have this kind of democratic government where we you know we're not we're not ruled. This is you know Athenians mostly, but we're not ruled by this despot. And yet, how is it that this empire is, is so vast and and functions, you know, so well, because you have to realize in, 
in Greece um, at the time, you had a bunch of various city-states that often didn't really get along. They were never really politically unified as one. And then you have these, you know, this this great massive Persian empire that is on the surface, at least the antithesis of everything in Greece or Greek ideals, uh, kind of um, basically, you know, the opposite of, of Greece at the time. And then they have this empire that runs relatively smoothly. They occupy a, Could you, you know, so that? many, they, you know, they, they rule over so many different people with different religions and different cultures and, and yet, you know, in Greece, basically they are, you know, they speak more or less the same language. They more or less have the same religion, culture, and yet they can't even get along. So those are the questions that Herodotus would ask. And he attributed that to Cyrus. He said, you know, it's because of their founder. He's like, the, this empire might be extremely decadent today, but if you look at its founding, you, you know, you have this you know, Cyrus who was a very relatively simple person and a very tolerant person and the way he treated people. And that's how... You know, people just gravitated to him. So as I started learning that, I know, sorry, I got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but no, that's fine. As, as I started learning about that, I started learning more, not just about, you know, ancient Persia, but also the various areas that the Persian empire ruled over. So for example, you know, Babylonia, Egypt, you know, the Eastern Mediterranean, even Central Asia, you know, areas in Turkey. So it, it, that's kind of what really got me into this region. Because and and then I started to realize the wow, the show's so, about ADD, so we have all sorts of tangents that happen on this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there you go, there you go. So so yeah, so for me it was I, I was just fascinated, and I was like, okay, you know, Persian history is is amazing as it is, but all of these places that the Persians rule over have have a much longer history. You know, they go back. You know, in some cases, I mean, written history goes back you know, 25 years before that and uh, 25, you know, 3000 years before that, actually, I mean, it depends on when you believe, you know, writing first came. And uh, so that's really what got me into this. I, I was just absolutely fascinated with just, 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 just this ancient world and all these different groups and cultures and um, the politics that, you know, between different states, it, it, it to me, it just became super fascinating. Like I always liked history as a kid, but it was more medieval history. I was really into like, you know, knights and, you know, the crusades was something very fascinating for me. I've, I've always been interested in parts of the world where you have different people kind of interacting different. Uh, so for, whether it's the time during the crusades or the former Yugoslavia or, you know, even, um, you know, the, the Mongol invasions of Europe and just how that kind of, I've just been fascinated with like the, I guess for lack of a better term, clash of civilizations, that's a term that Samuel Huntington used. Uh, he titled one of his books that, but I, it's just that, you know, that kind of thing. And, and like all the sort of things that go on, you know, not just when it comes to like the politics, but even how, how did the people interact? I, you know, we always read about, for example, during the crusades, how the various Kings were fighting with each other and the armies fighting with each other. But then you had common merchants, you know, their interactions were relatively peaceful and how they'd interact. And it, it, it's just, it's fascinating how, or at least for me, it's fascinating how all this stuff kind of went down. So, yeah, I, I agree completely. That's well, I'm a history nerd too. So I find it all fascinating as well. I do feel like, I don't know if you feel this way. This isn't like a knock on the American education system, but I feel like when you do world history, it's like there was Babylon, then there was the Persians. 
And then there was the Greeks and then there was the Romans and then England and then bam, the U S <laughs> and I don't feel that uh, the, you know, Mesopotamia region, the Levant, all of that gets, gets what it's due because just watching your videos, it is amazing. It's complex. And, um, and I also feel that a lot of times what people know about that is just like you mentioned earlier, what's in the old Testament, but it is so much deeper and dynamic and complex and your videos really show that. And then also the fact that you can pronounce a lot of those names is also impressive. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's actually, uh, that's to be debated depending on who you ask. Um, but uh, no, I I've I remember in the very beginning my pronounced this is I'll, I'll get back to your other uh, points as well. But before I forget about this one um, again, going off on different tangents. But I remember when I first started, um, and in my early videos, they're still up. But I always tell people uh, don't watch them. I just keep them there as a reminder, just to show you know for myself to see how bad I was and hopefully the progress I've made since then. Because <laughs> the information is actually fine. It, but the the video production, the audio, it's you know, and you know, with that goes also you know the pronunciation of certain names. Uh, before I actually, you could say, formally started to learn them, because as I told you before, when I was young, I was really the only person that was in my family, at least, and even amongst my my friends, um, that really enjoyed history. So I would read a lot about about it. But as you mentioned, a lot of this history it's not taught in schools. So how you pronounce some of these names, I, I would be reading them for the first time and I would pronounce them or think that they were pronounced the way I would, you know, if I were to read something for the first time like this, the way I would pronounce it like that. So for example, I remember there's a name Sennacherib, which is, he was an Assyrian king. He's also, it also appears in the Old Testament, but I mean, I, I didn't know that at the time. And so I would read it in the beginning as Sennacherib because that's how it, you know, it just when I was young, I, that's how I would have read it. And it's only later that I said, no, actually the name is pronounced differently, much differently. And, uh, I started, you know, taking classes or going online or even like writing to various professors, especially when I started making the channel, I was like, okay. And, and some of the, the viewers had even pointed out like, no, I think, uh, you, you pronounce this word like this or this like that. So I, I, I'm kind of, when it comes to making these videos, if there is production quality, that's subjective. I myself am not a graphic artist, an animator, so I have to make do with what I can do. I also don't have a budget where I can just sort of export it out to another company and, and say, hey, you know, you know, draw me a bunch of... So, you know, one thing the I can... When it comes to like the visuals, there's perhaps only so much I can do. I don't have a movie studio, for example. If I did, that'd be great. If I could hire actors or animators, that would be great. Uh, so that, you know, I, I, I do my best with. But when it comes to the information that I'm conveying, that I'm, I, you know, I, I feel like that has to be 100% because this is, I'm, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm teaching something to someone else. Uh, it's not just entertainment. I hope it's entertaining, but I also want the viewer to to get something from it be like oh wow you know that part of the world that's actually really interesting or i learned something new and uh maybe i'd like to learn more about it that that's what i'm sort of after that's what i want and i think being able to pronounce words uh and names correctly as much as possible i think we can never 100 percent do that for some of these names in fact some of there's still debate among scholars over 
how some of these names are actually pronounced. Right. So um, I I think we have what's called like English bias or your, you know, your own language bias. So letters make certain sounds in English. And when you read it for like another language, you want it to make the sound it makes in English. And that was a problem I had when I was trying to learn a Scottish Gaelic mm-hmm. is they only have 17 letters in their alphabet, but they have all of the same sounds. So like the V, there's no letter and different consonants together make the V sound, but it's different mm-hmm. consonants at different parts of the word. And my brain could never do that. <laughs> and so I think it's probably the same thing when you're reading, especially something that's, you know, at this point, 6,000 years old, you want to pronounce it how the modern English is when it might not. Have, oh, yeah, you know, def- definitely. That way. And, and it's really interesting you said that because even it's not even just, for example, names in ancient Mesopotamia, but even with Greek names. And this is something that even recently I was having a kind of discussion with um, some of my viewers that wrote certain things because some of them were like, oh, thank you so much for pronouncing this properly. And others were like, oh, but I've heard this pronounced this way and that way. And and I myself have made errors. And I was, I was, you know, wondering why in the past, you know, you know, why did this happen? And so, for example, part of it is just that, you know, the way we hear it in English um, or the way it's basically become, the, you know, the common pronunciation of certain names in English, you know, it actually goes back, you know, to medieval times or you know mm-hmm. even earlier. So, for example, a lot of these Greek names where you have, I guess, where something is written as a C, it's actually pronounced as a, as a hard K in the Greek language. Right. But I think what happened was a lot of these Greek names became Latinized. And so the pronunciation kind of shifted a bit. And then those Latin names sort of went into English. So a lot of the, what we think are Greek names are actually not the exact, they're not, you know, the original Greek. Sometimes they're not even close to the original Greek, but it's because we, because the, our word is derived from the Latinized version of that name, you know, is, is different than what the original Greek is. So, you know, th- this kind of happens. And I, I think at the end of the day, at, at the same time, you know, if you use the original name, then mm-hmm. you run the chance of the viewers not really being able to know what you're talking about or associate that with what they're familiar with, right. for example. So I'm um, trying to think of an example, like a city that, okay, so there's a, there's a city in North Africa. It was a Greek colony. Um, the Greek name is Kirini, but in English it's spelled like Cyrene or Cyrene people. I think I've heard many people pronounce it Cyrene instead of Kirini. Now I think a, a city like that, I, I try to use, you know, I, I, now I use Kirini, but if you're not familiar with that and you're, if you always heard it as, you know, Cyrene, you might be wondering, wait, is he talking about the same city? Is he? And and that's just something that when you have an international audience, you kind of have to you have to deal with because um, or it's it's always going to happen that there are going to be some people that are like, wait, I've heard this pronounced this way, or in uh, Italian we say it this way, or in French we say it this way, and usually people because it's an English language program that they're watching, I'm sure a lot of them assume that well they're using the common English pronunciation. But I often get from others that say, oh, why don't you use the the original name? For example, with Egypt, I have this series on Egypt that I'm doing. And yes, I'll have it's people excellent. That post- I've been watching them as they come out. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> you like them? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, actually, your channel is one of three YouTube channels that I have the bell on that I get notified when new videos come out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. I'm, I appreciate it. Um, 
but uh but one example is for example sorry about that going off on tangents <laughs> no it, that's the beauty of a, being on a podcast called musings of an add mind tangents are <laughs> yeah <laughs> so one example is that the old name of egypt was kemet i get a lot of people who will write in the comments let's say why don't you use the real name kemet or why don't you use the real name instead of saying Memphis, use the original Egypt name and so on, or for you know all these different cities. Because a lot of the names that we have are actually Greek uh, names. And those are the names that have become common in not just in English, but in European languages. So that's something that I often get. And I generally respond to that. I say, well, you know, I, I do sometimes, I often do say that the original name is for example, Kemet, but I, uh, but after that, I'll keep, I'll use the more familiar name is because at the end of the day, my goal is to make history as easy to digest for the common person as possible. Because what I'm, what I feel that I'm very privileged to have are, you know, academic sources, university sources. I have, uh, I grew up surrounded with libraries. When I was a kid, I would go to the unit, the local university library and just kind of read the books. There are things that I, this is before the internet. Well, no, the internet was around, but it wasn't like it is now. And even you have to be careful on the internet too, because I've seen certain Wikipedia articles and I, I think they're great, but there are things that when I look at them now, studying what I've studied, I'm like, oh wait, this is actually incorrect. And right. So, so Wikipedia my is funny take- because like you can have an article on say Chewbacca and it will mm-hmm. be 100% accurate to Chewbacca. Because if someone messes it up, it gets fixed immediately. But the entry on George Washington will have all sorts of errors. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I try to stay away from that. Um, like Wikimedia is great because you can get a lot of royalty-free images from it. But and, and I'm not saying, I'm sure there are a lot of people who have written really good articles. And especially it's nice that when they source them, you can, if you have access to that source, you can take a look at it yourself. So in that sense, it's good. But I would never in one of my programs, just rely on Wikipedia. Right. Like usually I have, and, and that also, I also like, for me, it has to be, if I'm going to talk about something, it has to be something that's been published in a book or an academic journal. What I try to do with my channel is take that information and put it in a format because I've taken university level classes in history. And while for me, it's, you know, I'm okay with it. I'm, really interested in going in depth and I don't find it boring. Even if the professor is boring, I still like, you know, it's still enticing for me, but I know that most people are not going to find some obscure Babylonian text interesting because they're just not Mm -hmm. unless you put it into a context that they can understand or that, that makes it interesting for them. And that's really my goal. So going back to the names, if I'm just sort of peppering the, the program, using only the original names and all of this academic jargon they're at the end of the day i'm sure people are going to tune out you know i want them to say okay this memphis in i I, i've heard of memphis in egypt or i've heard of heraconpolis you know or things like that and and they can sort of make those those connections Connections. and 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 that's for me what it's all about i mean for example i i say babylon when i'm talking about the city of ancient Babylon, but the Akkadian name is depending on what scholar you talk to, it's either Babylu or Babylanu. And one just keeps saying that over and over, it gets kind of tedious. But also at the same time, I'm not trying to like like I'm I'm not trying to impress the viewer with 
that you know by saying oh i know the oh I, this is how you actually say it and no i i want you to i want the viewer to you know to understand the history in the best way possible and uh you know it just you know yeah make it easy for them but at the same time i i don't want to have a like the way i present is not i want to give the viewer uh a good amount of information, not just a cliff notes version, but, or an outline, but, you know, put some meat on the bones of what I'm talking about. And, uh, but at the same time, not make it too uh, verbose or because it's funny, the, the hardest thing sometimes with making these programs is cutting out stuff because there's so much that I want to talk about. And that's in a sense why I also started my own sort of supplementary podcast was for those viewers who, you know, who want to learn more and uh, they can go to the podcast because I'll generally take a topic that I've discussed or even something, maybe a small thing that I've mentioned in a video. And then I'll go into more detail on the podcast. And I actually like doing podcasts because they're much more informal. Whereas I feel there's a lot more, I have to be, there's better production value in the typical video, but in a podcast, I can just sit there, have my notes in front of me or the script in front of me, talk. I don't necessarily have to put a lot of visuals into it, a few maps, a few objects, because some sometimes some of these ideas are a bit more abstract, sorry, abstract, and they're not a lot of visuals to begin with, but they're just so interesting to talk about. And those are the types of things. I, I can talk about this stuff forever which uh, you'll probably find out on this <laughs> no, I, podcast. I understand um, my uh, my friends and family. I'm sure get tired of me talking about Scotland. No, so I. <laughs> but I mean, yes, it's, I understand. Uh, but uh, I don't know if I answered your question. But and, um, no, that's fine. It's it, I I'm satisfied with that. Again, uh, feel free to stop answer. me at any time. You know, if I've, <laughs> I I, know, I do I, feel. As, oh, go ahead. No, no, go go because okay. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's 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 your show, and I want you to. You know, if there's something you want to ask me or some specific topics you want to go over, by all means, just feel free to cut me off and we can get into that. Okay. The the thing I tell a lot of my, well, it sounds like I'm some sort of pagan heathen, but like a lot of my Christian friends, I'm like, if you want to find out the context of the Old Testament in the world that the Old Testament took place in, these are the videos to watch. Because when they mm-hmm. talk about, you know, Adam or Adam. Uh, Abraham and Isaac, this is the world that they lived in. And mm-hmm. this gives you the full context of the Old Testament. You want to know about Babylon? There's a whole series of them. You want to learn about Persia? There's a whole series of videos, and it will make your understanding of the Old Testament greater. Have any of my friends done it? I don't know, but at least I tell them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I I You know, it, it's interesting because when I... I I didn't realize when I when I was making these videos that definitely wasn't my intention to attract, for example, people who are looking for answers from the Bible. As an example, I I was just fascinated with the history. I, I told you basically how I got into it. So I was like, wow, these are these ancient civilizations. It, it's just it's just they're just fascinating. And and yeah, some of them actually some of the characters themselves are you know are, are also featured in the Bible. For example. You said Sennacherib, but then you also have Nebuchadnezzar II, you know, a, a historical king who was very well documented. I mean, there are so many documents from his reign that have been preserved, that have been uncovered. Uh, Cyrus the Great is another person we talked about. He's also quite prominent in 
you know, the book of Ezra and Isaiah, and, you know, he's mentioned several times. So, you know, this is, and for me, it's great. I think um, I'm actually, it's, it's wasn't intended, but for example, when I'm talking about ancient kingdoms of Israel and Judah, it's interesting because I'll get two types of people. One will be those who have, you know, heard about it or know about it from the Bible. And sometimes they're often like, you know, oh, this is great. This is interesting. Others are like, wait, this is not exactly what the Bible says. And this is wrong or things like that. And, and I, I understand that. I, you know, I'm not there to question anyone's faith or anything like that. Although I don't even think any of this questions faith. It's, I'm just saying this is what these tablets say. And you can, you know, take that for what it's worth. But then I also get the the opposite side, which are people who are either anti-religious or, you know, atheists. And they say, oh, this is garbage. How can you, there was never any kingdom called Israel and this is just, you know, religious nonsense and, or biblical archeology. span And then I have to write back and say, well, actually, if you read Assyrian texts, you know, there were, I mean, they, they do refer to a King. They do refer to a place called Israel. They have a different word for it. And some of the Kings that are also in the Bible, they've been found, their names have been found in as what they call guests, um, which is basically a glorified hostage in Babylon or in various areas. And so there, there is, you know, these are at the end of the day, as, as you said, you know, we're talking about a world where, you know, there was a lot going on and this is, this is the world of, you know, the context that a lot of these, uh, that the, the stories and events of the Bible took place in. So it's not just because something is in the Bible doesn't mean necessarily that it didn't happen. Now, it might not have happened the way it happened in the Bible. For example, um, take Sennacherib's uh, assault on Jerusalem. Now, the Bible has its own story about how eventually the Assyrian army left because God sent, uh, I believe it was an angel. Correct me if I'm wrong. But, oh, sorry, that's Siri. Anytime I say Assyria, Siri always goes on. Siri, Siri thinks I'm talking to her, but <laughs> let me shut that off. That's perfectly um, fine. It's just funny. So going back on the story of, you know, so, so so this character of Sennacherib, he is in the Bible and in the Bible, he does assault the city of Jerusalem and eventually he does leave. Now there's a supernatural explanation for it in the Bible. But if you go and and look at the various texts that have been uncovered in the what was the Assyrian capital of Nineveh, Sennacherib also tells about how he assaulted, uh, had led an assault against Jerusalem and uh, he took other cities like Lachish and you know the surrounding areas. But I suppose Jerusalem, he doesn't say that he conquered it. And you know then scholars look into, okay, well, what, what was going on? Well, there was some you know trouble on the domestic front, on the eastern side of the empire that he had to attend to. So basically maybe he subdued them or he subdued a lot of the area and then he kind of left and perhaps to come back another day. We don't know. But but that sort of stuff is really fascinating because you have a, you know, the mention of an event that, okay, that is in the Bible that a lot of people say, well, you know, that's just a story. But then you go back and you say, well, there might be some truth to it. Like this event actually did happen. Maybe it happened differently. And that's the job of archaeology is to sort of to try to find out what actually happened. You know, is this account correct? Is this and, and so I, you know, I, I look at it like that and, you know, and then other people, you know, they, you, you get two different types of people and that's fine. I'm actually, you know, open to, I, my, my job is just to present 
various texts and the facts as we know them, and then you can make up your own decision or your you know based on that. If it fits into your worldview, great. If not, fine. But sometimes I, it gets annoying when people sort of accuse me of, oh, you're 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 trying to present this view or that when they don't actually even watch the video. Just because I mention the Bible doesn't mean that I'm using it necessarily as a historical source. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I think again, that's to put it in contest. People, they've heard of the city of Jericho, where not from an archaeology magazine, not from some, you know, obscure journal or whatever, but because from it's a Bible. city that's mentioned in the Bible. Yeah. Well, you know what? There happened. There actually was a, or actually still is a town called Jericho. People still live there, and it has a history. And this is what archaeology says about it. Now, if it matches up with something that's written in a biblical text, that's great. If there's some discrepancies, that's great too. My job is not to prove or disprove, you know, one or the other. It's just to say, well, this is what we know about this place so far. That could change as more evidence comes, but for now, you know, this is what this is what we know. And that's how I I you know I kind of look at it. So I'm again, I was surprised I mean, I, I didn't intend for people who were into the Bible to actually come and, and watch. And I and I'm actually, you know, I'm I'm thrilled, I'm honored. I'm really happy about that but you know it, it, it you know i have no the point i'm trying to make is i have no agenda like putting these right. out and, and and the other thing is it's, it's not just even with, when it comes to the bible but even for example there's certain nationalist groups or various you know ethnocentric groups they also have sometimes have a problem with or they'll write nasty comments one person a couple actually even send me death threats well, which i in the, when i got my first one i was like a little worried i was like wait this is i was also much newer at this and then when i got the second one i was like okay yeah you know come at me whatever well that's um, the thing about history is once you sort of it can change as new information comes as archaeologists find more out you know hey we did this dig there's some tablets here but mm -hmm. when you're the atheist or someone who's a christian or whatever re their religion is it's educational at the end of the day and you're trying to teach and it doesn't matter the position of the audience, but the audience has to be willing to change their mind or viewpoint. And I feel yeah. good that. I, yeah, I agree. As I said, I'm just there to present the information. Now, going back to the whole nationalistic, ethnocentric thing, I, you know, I, I understand why that happens, because especially when you're in a part of the world where people are fighting over the same land and are trying to show that, well, we were here at first, or one example is, let's say, the area we call you know, southwestern Anatolia, sorry, southeastern Anatolia. If I write, if I discuss that region immediately, or even even in northern Mesopotamia, or actually anywhere in Mesopotamia, but I'll have certain groups that will say, oh, why didn't you say that these people are the ancestors of so-and-so, you know? And I'm like, well, which to me doesn't make, and I don't, I'm not going to say the name, because I, you can, if you read the comments, you'll <laughs> you'll you'll see them. I don't. I don't want to like point any group out because I have absolutely nothing against you know. But um, you know, in a region, for example, where people are you know are, are fighting over land or they're they're claiming this land as their own and and they're trying to make that claim. I I understand why people would want some identification. They want to say, oh well, this 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 proves that you know our people were here first. That's that's not my my purpose. In fact, there's even no direct proof that. These people who lived 4,000 years ago are in any way even remotely 
they, they might have occupied the same land that you're claiming now, but that doesn't mean they're your ancestors. I mean, people have moved back and forth. So, you know, I, I get that a lot. And that's one of the, that's one of the things that kind of saddens me because I, again, my, what I put out is not meant to divide or cause upset people when it comes to this. I'm here just to put, this is, these are the things that happened as far as we know. I, I, and I don't have an agenda just because I'm someone in the United States making history videos on this doesn't mean that I'm purposely putting out incorrect information or I'm part of some colonial uh, organization that's there to like kind of reestablish Western dominance in the region. Like these, these are things that people have written to me. And, and I, again, I understand where they're coming from. That's something that's one of the things I guess when you make when you, you talk about history, you're never going to satisfy everyone. But I think if you just sort of stick as best as you can to the facts and there's nothing really you can do other right, than that. Right. As a simple aside, my dad's retired from the Air Force and my stepmom's also retired from the Air Force. And after my dad retired, oh, wow. my stepmom got stationed in Turkey, Anatolia. Uh-huh. And my dad absolutely loved living in Turkey. <laughs> oh, I've been there. Yeah, I, I traveled. Well, I've traveled to Istanbul and then to the city of Ephesus. And then for one day, we went to two days, actually went to Cappadocia. I love it. I love Turkish food. People are great. Uh, sorry, go on. Another tangent. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, my dad, he felt like just driving through the streets was a big NASCAR adventure. And he absolutely loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and he loved the same thing. He loved the food. He loved the people. Um, yeah yeah no it, it's really so when i was saying anatolia like that's the okay so i mean there's parts of anatolia then as you probably know they're claimed by kurds and turks you know you have probably you know this conflict between kurds and turks and also armenians you know also claim a lot of that same area so i'll often get messages from you know those groups that hey this is you know this is kurdish land or or hey you you must be a turk because you're because you didn't mention that this is Kurdish land. And and for my thing, again, I, I'm, I'm putting this in a, I, I understand everyone's history is very important to them. But because I say that something is in Turkey, you know, the international recognized, you know, borders of Turkey, that's, that's so that whoever is watching or listening, if they want to find it on a map, they can find it. If I, so, you know, so, but, and, and again, I, I understand why, you know, the other side wants to make a, makes their claim because you know, they're also trying to establish their presence in the region. And, and I know Kurds have, have you know, the, they've not always been treated by, and in, in many cases still are not, you know, treated by, I, I try, again, the other thing is I try not to get into politics, but I understand the <laughs> yeah. Kurdish side and I know why they do, why they, I know why they do what they, what they, they, do. they try to get their version, their, their message out there. You know, anyone would do that if they to preserve their history, their culture, things like that. And I understand, but I, you know, I, I'm not. Again, I'm not on one side or the other. I'm just trying to report this in the best way that I can, as neutral as I can. And uh, that's the way that I've been. I've been taught in university to present things. I feel you do a, a good job of that. I never felt or feel like when I'm watching your videos that it's sort of a one-sided thing. And I don't. I just don't think people should, I guess, feel bad if you mentioned something that took place in the modern borders that's 6,000 years ago, because they were not the borders they are now, because a lot of that is just arbitrary stuff that was just randomly decided by a bunch of dudes at a table at some point. True, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, so, but... yeah. 
Uh, one thing, though, I don't know if you have ever thought of your videos or even like that time frame of Mesopotamia, but minus the dragons, what happened with the city-states in Mesopotamia is so Game of Thrones, intrigue, fighting other <laughs> groups and all of that. And it's like somebody should make a, a long format TV series about that, how city-states would rise. They would be oh, yeah. the big deal. And then all of a sudden, you know, the grandson of that guy was kind of a sorry king. And then the other city would come up and take its place. And just that whole thing is fascinating. And I don't know if oh, that I, would be a way to get people involved or not. But oh, I, I, if you're I, listening, I, I, aside. <laughs> hey, and, and, and if you need a writer, uh, you know, I'm a screenwriter. I'm, uh, I can uh, try that out if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> But uh, no, I, you know it's it's interesting that you say you say that because remember in the beginning you, you were talking about how a lot of this we don't cover in school. You know, we could just kind of we sort of gloss over we gloss over it rather. And I remember when I was in school, all that I learned about Hammurabi was that he had this law code, supposedly the first law code, which turns out it's not the first law code. There's there have been other law codes that have been found, written law codes rather that have been found from before his time, but he gets a lot of the credit and his is the most widely known. But that's all we learned about him. When I started reading about his life, I mean, I mean, Jack, seriously, that is like the 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 most, in my opinion, almost one of the most insignificant things of his reign. Is his, his life is so fascinating. And if you read how he came to power, in fact, I, I, I made a video on this called Hammurabi, Master of Mesopotamia. And actually, I want to redo it again, not because there's anything wrong in the video. In fact, the video is actually, it was one of my favorite to make, but I want to kind of redo it and add even more to it because that story is so fascinating. And it is very much like Game of Thrones. You have these, I think there might have even been exactly seven kingdoms also sort of vying for this one area. And just how Hammurabi sort of makes these alliances and then in some cases, backstabs the other uh one of his former ally or has some charges them of something ridiculous but uses that as an excuse to say well you know what you you didn't come to my aid when i asked so i'm gonna punish you and take over it, it but it's absolutely fascinating the politics and a lot of this we get these we know this from various letters that have been found in different archives and i i mean my hat's off to the hats off to the the archaeologists who have not the archaeologists, but the the ones who have translated the linguists who have translated a lot of these documents and published them for us because just reading them absolutely fascinating and even the detail, for example, about troop movements or about the what uh, what spies are reporting or what an ambassador at one king's court is thinking in his head that the other king is thinking. It, it, it's absolutely fascinating and. You know, like you said, this could really be, you know, a several season miniseries like Game of Thrones. That oh, story yeah, definitely is. And, and the thing is, there are many stories like that in, uh, you know, that we you know we know about now just in the history of Mesopotamia. I mean, we know about similar stories in um, in the ancient Roman world or you know the English War of the Roses, which supposedly. Game of Thrones is kind of modeled after, but that sort of political dynamic between various states existed in so many other parts of the world at so many different times in history. Yeah. And the other thing too, is it's not like this happened over like a couple hundred years. This is over thousands of years that it 
ebbed and flowed like that and Ur's the big city and then oh not anymore now babylon is oh not anymore mm-hmm. you know now nineveh is nope not anymore and the empires that you know would surround them because it wasn't like just the city obviously it was areas that's around them and just the intrigue and everything had to have been amazing at those times <laughs> that i don't think even modern cold world era stuff is the intrigue that they had back then yeah it, it's i mean to me it, it's just it's fascinating and i mean i'm sitting here looking at some of my books right now just this one on assyria and just a couple and i'm just thinking about some of the stories i've read in them and i'm like yeah you know it's absolutely there's so many it's it's just amazing even in egypt for example the various you know dynastic struggles between various groups and it's uh it really is fascinating um and it kind of also shows you that the world back then really wasn't too different than our world today. That's also when 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 you read some of these letters, not even these the correspondence between various rulers, but just letters um from, you know, between husbands and wives. For example, there's one massive uh collection of letters that comes from uh, actually a city in in Turkey now. I think the Turkish word, the Turkish uh, name of the site is called Kultepe, but back in the day it used to be called at least in Assyrian documents Kanish. So there basically was an Assyrian trading colony there. And so tra- uh, various trading companies and trading houses would send their sons or sometimes even the head of the family. They would go to these cities in central Anatolia and uh, they would often take textiles with them. And then they would ship back minerals, often tin, copper, things like that, other objects as well. But they would be in these areas for years and but they'd still have families back in Asher, which was their home city. So you see the letters going back and forth between husbands and wives, between sons and father, or fathers and sons. And they're just really fascinating. There's one that comes to mind where a, uh, a wife is complaining to her husband who's in the city of Kanish. He's back home in Asher in northern Iraq. He's in central Turkey or Anatolia. And she's like, you know, First of all, you're not sending me, you know, enough money. You're not sending enough stuff. I don't believe you when you say that you're broke. And I've heard from others that you've taken up another wife over there and have a whole family over there. Some things so these are just never really, change. <laughs> yeah. So these are just like really like, you know, colorful kind of just, you know, situations, personal situations that, uh, you know, a lot of us can in modern times can relate to there, you know, it, it's, it's just fascinating. And there are other like really funny ones where let me interject right quick. Isn't that the go ahead, go ahead. topic of, is it your second or third podcast where you were talking Which about how the merchants went from Asherah? Oh, from Asherah. Yeah. I think I didn't do a podcast on that. I, I think I, you did. Oh, I think I maybe in one of the Assyrian ones, which that's actually great that you were listening to it. Cause I, I don't think many people listen to them. And uh, that's, yeah, I, I, I did talk about them a couple of years ago, I think. Yeah, but this, they're the same kind of thing. There were certain, you know, I think I read some of the letters in those. Yeah, yeah. So if you want more information on that, go on whatever <laughs> you get your podcast. Look for History with Sai podcast, and then you can find out more. And actually, again, I, I want to do another long, if not series, at least one long video on Syria, where, again, I'd like to, um, you know, read some of those letters. Because I... I think for me, I my favorite part about doing this are just digging through various primary sources. I uh, 
because I think they give us a, you know, a, a different perspective. And it, mm-hmm. they also, depending on the type of source, of course, but for example, these letters, I feel that they really humanize the people of the time for us. Because it's, it's very easy for us to say, oh, yeah, well, we, we often put things into like, or think of history in the form of like names and dates. Oh, well, this person did this person at this time. Right. And there was a battle at this time, etc. But when you read some of these letters, for example, it, it kind of puts a personality to those people that I feel you can't really get if you're just reading some prose in a textbook. Of right. This battle happening here. And then this event happened. And then that caused this other war to happen. It's, it's you know, we, I, I tend, at least when I was in school, and even now, because when I've taught in schools as well, we see history as a series of events and one event leading to another, things of that sort, without, I feel at least, really looking at the people involved, their mindset. Right. And that's so, something that in these programs, as much as I possibly can, depending on, you know, and assuming that the information is there, that I also try to try to show that, well, you know, it's, you know, these people, they had tough decisions to make and you can kind of maybe see their thought process by reading, you know, what they wrote or what they, what their scribes wrote about them or what they dictated to their scribes, things of that sort. I'm going to put my, my nerd cap on here for a minute. My geek cap. It's sort of like a doctor who, where the doctor explains <laughs> that time is in a straight line where everybody thinks it goes, that it's actually a wibbly wobbly thing. And it looks mm-hmm. more like a etch a sketch that a two year old was working on. And oh, that's awesome. I think that's sort of, <laughs> I mean, that's just how Never history that. is. Cause I there's like that. a million things going on at once that yeah, sometimes yeah, like that, are interconnected actually. and sometimes aren't <laughs> nice. Um, anyway, I do have one thing that I did kind of want to talk to you about. And that is the late Bronze Age collapse, which two years ago, I don't think I really knew a whole lot about. And then the pandemic happened and I worked from home and I watched a lot of YouTube videos as I was working. Mm -hmm. I was working, folks. I really was. And (laughs) I've kind of of realized that the late Bronze Age collapse is probably one of the bigger events in history that people don't realize because to have a whole area that had all of these cities that all of a sudden sort of gathered and depopulated, whether it be famine or war or whatever, is sort of amazing. Can you imagine like the East Coast, all of a sudden, just the people that live there, a chunk of them are kind of just gone. And I feel like that that probably was a big history changing thing because, you know, maybe Maybe Greece doesn't sort of become the root of the Western power. Maybe people from the Levant or Assyria does, if you know, if that doesn't happen. Am I off base with that thought? No, no, I, I, I don't think so. Um, I, I mean, that's also you know, a time period, a series of events that I'm also really fascinated with. And uh, it's, you know, I, I feel like our knowledge is incomplete about everything that happened, which makes it even more mysterious. But again, when you when you read the letters from the time, for example, right now I'm working on a video about the city of Ugarit, which was today on what's the coast of uh, Syria, and uh, and Ugarit was this very cosmopolitan port city. It was you know its inhabitants had become very very wealthy through trade because it was in a prime location, and you know it was for all practical purposes a, 
even had it existed today, it would have been, I, I feel it's, it's one of those cities that would have continued throughout antiquity into the into medieval times and even into the modern day had it not been destroyed at the time that it was. But even from there, there are these letters from the king. One is from the king of Ugarit to his uh, to the king of Cyprus, and they're discussing that, oh, you know, if you see ships, uh, if, if what you tell me about these ships that you've seen, if, if that's true, then you need to be very, really careful and, and prepare for the worst. And just the, you know, the, the way these letters are going back and forth. And it's, it's, it's just absolutely fascinating. It's almost as if he's like describing in Armageddon that there's something, there's some, something evil on the horizon that's coming. And, you know, you have to, you have to be, you know, don't, don't take it lightly, you know, be as careful as possible. And then the historical record goes silent. And we seem to know what happened in the sense that the city of Ugarit was uh, destroyed violently because they have from that particular level, I think it's around 1185 BC, there's not only like a layer of ash and traces of fire on various buildings, but lots of arrowheads and just all the things that archaeologists find when it comes to destruction have been found in that particular layer so that's you know it, it that's but it's it's just you know that it's just that's just one city right. there were so many other places that either shared the same fate or in many cases even survived if you look at the other cities the canaanite cities to the south of sidon uh, biblos you know they you know they happened to uh if anything you know they a few centuries later they were they prospered You're listening to the musings of an ADD Mind podcast. There's a lot that I'm going to be doing on the Levant because there's so much there again. But uh, I, I do sort of want to move out of the Bronze and Iron Age and further down the timeline because, as I told you before, actually, I really love medieval history. And initially, when I started this channel, I was going to sort of move. You know, like like one would through a school curriculum, you start in the remote past and you just keep going going forward. And you know, by the end, we will come to the twenty first century, and uh, you know, it, it'll, it'll just be it'll be a nice sort of quick ride through history. And <laughs> that obviously didn't happen because the more I got into a topic, um, the more I like I, I I couldn't just stop with Sumer. I said, okay, you know what? I'll talk about Sumer, and then we'll go into Assyria, and then you know ancient Persia, you know, Hellenism, you know, that was the, you know, the, the typical progression that you'd see in a textbook. And I, I was like, you know, I can't just do one little thing on Sumer. There's just so much more. There's so many things that are related to this. And um, I mean, I because of that, I've been stuck in the Bronze Age for three years. And in fact, I'm even going further back again, because now I've started this series on Egypt, where I'm starting not, you know, I'm starting back with the the earliest dynasties and just going through them. So I, I don't know if I'll ever get past year past the year 500 BC, but you know, my goal is to eventually uh, get more into Greek history, uh, Hellenism, Roman history, because even Roman history in the Near East is fascinating when you just the wars between Rome and Parthia. Um, even the, if, you know, if you read that, just the history of just Armenia and the politics involved, how it was sort of this, state in between or it became rather the state in between the sassanid and the uh the roman empire and just how 
politically developed. That's just a small part of, you know, the Roman kind of Persian world. And again, you know, I, I told you how I love learning about places where different cultures kind of interact. And Armenia is one of those places. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. So even little things, obscure things like that, that most people wouldn't know about. Um, well, it's like, I, I, um, I, I, I want to get into them, but it's just, yeah. it's taking me so long to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's almost the well will never end. But it's sort of like a lot of people don't realize that the Russian word czar means Caesar because mm-hmm. the initial sort of Russian kings felt that they were the last remaining part of the Roman Empire. Yeah, the third Rome after uh, the fall of uh, Constantinople. That was the next. Uh, yeah, that's that's true. Um, and again, this this whole continuum starting with it, it's it's absolutely now you're just reminding me of all the other things I want to talk about. <laughs> I just real quick though, as another aside, can you imagine you're lining up for battle back in the day? You're a Roman soldier, and all of a sudden the army comes, and there are dudes riding elephants. That had to have been terrifying. Oh yeah, <laughs> Hannibal. Are you referring to? Yeah, yeah. Hannibal there. crossing the Alps with yeah. Yeah, even if yeah. it was just one, that had to have been terrifying. Yeah, especially if you've never seen it before. It'd be like, yeah. I mean, it's the ultimate flex. Just imagine, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of an example in history where something like that may have happened, and I can't, to be honest. Maybe just imagine if, like, during the American Civil War, and all of a sudden, I guess the North, because you know they were the industrialized part of the country at the time, and a dude comes down a sudden, with a Sherman. They, yeah, they, you know, yeah, Sherman comes to, he marches down to Atlanta in an M1 Abrams tank or something. You're like, what the hell is this? Yeah, <laughs> I mean that kind of thing. Uh, like just something you you just yeah, it would have been like the is that one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse or it it could have I, been. I forget how many horsemen are there of the apocalypse. Is it four or is four. it yeah four? There are four because I got that right. You know, yeah. I can tell you that M1s when they fire because I was in a tanker brigade when I was in the army, mm-hmm. and when you're lined up and there are a hundred tanks firing at once there's something awe-inspiring about hearing that sound and and the other thing is when you're freshly married like i was and you're 21 years old and you leave to go to the field after only being married three weeks and you don't tell your 20 year old wife who has the three-year-old baby that tanks are going to fire at two in the morning (laughs) (laughs) that that terrifies them (laughs) you you know it's interesting because um so I used to live, or I mean, still live, I mean, I've moved a bit, but I used to be in South Orange County, which is the, so I lived in uh, one of the last towns in Orange County before you get into San Diego County. And right as you get into San Diego County, there's, uh, you might've heard of it, Camp Pendleton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and even though it may have been like 20 miles away, on certain days, you could still hear the artillery fire from, from the camp. And yeah, yeah. because they, they were doing training exercises, and I would always wonder. I often wonder. I'm like, man, I can hear it so clearly where I'm at. I wonder what it must be like for the people who are actually there. Like, are they it's impressive. Have hearing problems afterwards, or what's going to happen? Oh no, you do. Um, there was actually a giant class action lawsuit because in Iraq and Afghanistan they had earplugs that were given to them that were defective, and it's affected a lot of their hearing. Oh but yeah, yeah, no, it gets it gets loud. As a matter of fact, yeah. the Army's the reason why I've been to that part of the world because Bill Clinton sent me to Kuwait in 1996. Oh, a okay. A lot of sand there <laughs> and a lot of camels. 
But yeah, that's a that's, story for a different day. <laughs> I think you have to make a podcast about that for sure. Because I I'm I'm actually fascinated with the uh, um with the first Gulf War actually second Gulf War too. In fact, I was I was going through uh, my books. In fact, I have over here um, the Bob Woodward plan of the attack. In fact, that was the one about the. Then I have the other one. Um, yeah, that's the only one I have. That's the only one I, I'd read through the other ones too. I'm just reading about the you know I guess his account of um, what was going on leading up to the. Sorry, this is the second Iraq war, not the first one. But um, yeah, I'm just looking at some of my other books right now from my shelf. I was, I was there I sort of in between the first Gulf War and then the second one in 96. Saddam Hussein mm-hmm. moved like 5,000 troops to the border with Kuwait. No, it was 20,000 troops. Sorry. And then Bill Clinton sent 5,000 of us from Fort Hood over there to stop him, which we would have. And I got mm-hmm. to spend um, September, October, November, and December and got home just before Christmas. And you went from sand to snow, basically. <laughs> well, I was in Texas, so there was no snow. But um, it was it was definitely interesting because I couldn't. You don't really interact with sort of the people that are there. But I yeah. did a lot of uh, logistical convoys, so I was driving on the interstate, and I just well their version of the interstate, and then you you know take the back roads to go to the company I was with, and I just always found it hilarious that guys would just be driving with their little mini Toyota trucks. And then in the, they'd have like this big thing that would sort of come off the back and they'd just have a camel standing in in the back with like a leash around his neck. And I was always like, you don't see that in the States. Yeah. I remember seeing pictures of that. And I think it was in like national geographic or something like that. Cause yeah, that was, I used to, we used to have a subscription to that. And I think there was, uh, I I remember seeing photos like that in those magazines Probably also in Newsweek yeah. and Time and stuff, but yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I, I, that's you know, even the the history of the modern Middle East. I mean, we're talking about the ancient Middle East, but the modern Middle East is also really fascinating. Um, from like you know, the, from eighteen hundred mm-hmm. onward, just how with the the breakup of the Ottoman Empire and then how you know the whole mandate system and then how these countries have evolved the way they have. That's also just just fascinating. And yeah, because it was like a was it like a British dude, a French dude, and two other guys and they're in a room and they're just like, here's a map of the Middle East. Here's how we're going to split it up. Yeah. That's (laughs) pretty much. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I I don't want to say that's the reason for a lot of the problems that, that are there because who knows they, I'm sure a lot of these divisions were already there before, but I think it, it doesn't. uh, Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think that helped any, I think it was, like, for example, in the case of Iraq, taking three Ottoman provinces, sort of smashing them together into one country, and then we see how those divisions have persisted into our you know, modern day with exactly. the internal fighting you know, between Shia, Sunni, Kurds. So It was the same thing in Yugoslavia. The, it was just mm-hmm. sort of lumped into one country, and they weren't. And as soon as the yeah. system holding it as together Tito, collapsed, yeah. right back at it. Yeah, which um, which is another like you know interesting, and, and that, you know that's another history that I I want to do. My one of the things that I'd like to do maybe in twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three is to travel to southeastern Europe. One, I I want to go just to Greece and actually do some live footage. You know, instead of saying, "All right, guys, we're going to talk about Greece today," and be like, "Hey, guys, I'm here um, with the Parthenon behind me," and uh, we're going to talk about the history of Athens or something like that. That's something I've always wanted to do to kind of um, not be a f- like a 
photojournalist, but sort of report from from the actual site. And uh, same thing, that's what I also want to do in Turkey as well, because Turkey, uh, for me, it's just an archaeologist paradise. And just there's just so much history that's crossed through Anatolia. It, it's, it's just amazing, starting whether it's starting from the really early civilizations to the Hittites to the well, uh, even the, the region in, Romans. The region in Anatolia called Galatia is actually people that are Celtic people that immigrated from, you know, what the Romans called Gaul which is modern day France. And they went mm-hmm. the other direction to Anatolia. And that's what Galatia is. So when you read your new Testament and Paul writes his letter to Galatians, those are actually Celtic people. Oh, nice. nice. Yeah. yeah. I was blown away when I realized that. And then I also thought I should have known that much sooner. It's right there. In the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, I, um, if you don't mind, I, I think we're probably going to wrap it up. No, it's, no worries at all. No worries been, at all. It's been great talking to you and no pleasure is all mine. And, and thank you so much for you know, having me on the show. I, I, as I said, I love to talk about this and this was, I mean, this, for me, this it was completely unscripted. So literally I apologize for going off on various tangents, but that's how I guess it suits your podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the name of your podcast. Yeah. So. Um, if you would like to help Sai go film in Greece or Anatolia, you could do so by contributing to his Patreon. Could you give that address? That was a oh, smooth okay, transition, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, well, honestly, just watching the videos, I'm just thrilled when people do that. But yeah, I have a Patreon. It's just History with Sai if you search for it on Patreon. But uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, honestly, for me, the biggest reward is just when people watch the show and like and leave a, a comment saying that they learned something because that really motivates me to make more of these. I... Even though my my background was not necessarily in history, I used to work in corporate America and uh, actually you could say corporate Britain too, because I worked for a British bank at one point. But I always I always loved history. I guess I didn't go into it as a in college. I didn't study history. To be honest, I had to have a. I, I knew that after college, I had to start working and you know start making money, one to pay off my student loans and just also to to support myself. So at that time, believe this or not, even though now I'm not very good with technology, but I got an IT job because they offered me a signing bonus. Um, and then like, you know, a pretty good salary and healthcare and all these things. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, so, um, and eventually I, I went into to finance and all that. So my, my trajectory was a little bit different, but I always wanted to be, if I didn't, if it, if it what if I wasn't going to be a diplomat, I wanted to be a history teacher because I just loved it. I just loved talking about this stuff. And uh, I even did the credential for the state of California, but getting you know history jobs in California, at least where I am at, they're very difficult to get. But math jobs, oh, that's there's huge demand for that. So I ended up actually also doing math. I'm going to be honest. But, with I, but you. I was going to teach. I don't Sorry? like math. Like I was going to say, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have the same relationship with math that I do with history. I mean, math, it's, it's, eh, it, it can be fun. Um, uh, I mean, I, it's funny. I, I enjoy doing geometric proofs because for me, it becomes like a logic game versus, but I know most students you know, dislike that and they're nice aspects of it, but it's, it's, for me, it's not history for, I, I love a good story. And for me, history is a great story. I always wanted to teach it. And so I could never, I couldn't get a history job and so YouTube became an outlet for me. I said, I, I just, I have this passion. I don't want to go back to school and get a PhD uh, you know, spend another six years and then 
maybe get a teaching job at a university. So I would just do this for honestly for fun. And uh, the interesting thing is with my credential program, one of the things was uh, I had access to a free one year trial of the whole Adobe suite. So that's Photoshop, Premiere and all the other things that come with it. And I would be watching these history videos uh, from channels like History Time, History with Hilbert, Kings and Generals. And I was like, wow, this stuff is really, really cool. I, I would love to do something like that. And then I saw I had chance to try out this new software. So I made my first video. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. It was the whole process of doing it. But I never thought that it would become a channel that's coming close to 100,000 subscribers. That never occurred to me. It was really just an outlet. Because even the topics that I was talking about, all this Bronze Age, Mesopotamia, I mean, who's interested in that? Let's be honest. Well, I, I guess more people than I thought. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, so it's, it's in that sense, it, it's just been great. And uh, so, I mean, so going back to what you were saying before, I'm just the greatest reward for me. I'm just thrilled when someone actually writes a comment saying that, wow, you know what? I never knew about this. Where can I learn more? That's my mission with this channel. And, uh, that's that's really the, the greatest reward. If you want to support the channel, just you know, w- watch the videos. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you dislike. Tell me what you'd like to learn more about. And uh, I'll do my best to to bring that to you. Yes, and so. you have. It's. I feel you've done a very good job. And a quick aside, if my wife ever has a podcast, you can come and talk to her about math. Oh, she, she teaches math? <laughs> no, she doesn't teach it, but she likes it. She's weird. And so anyway, that just quick aside. And then the other thing I too watched the history with Hilbert videos. And I was sort of amazed to find out that he was putting out all of that work while he was still in what in America would be called high school. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a student actually. um, At Oxford, I believe. I think you're right. Yeah. Cause I I saw his, I think when he reached hundred thousand or he did one of those Q and A's and I remember watching that. Lately, I've seen he's been putting out a lot of stuff, um, at least like twice a week, I believe, which that's which is awesome because and, and I'm sure, you know, from you know, working with this type of stuff, I mean, it, it, it takes a long time to put out like a single video. And yeah. for me, on average, for every minute that you see for, for for every minute of content that I put out on YouTube, there's probably three hours that go behind that. Yeah, no, and I that's completely like, understand uh, hour long podcast takes me six hours to edit exactly there's so with these videos doing the research and i at the moment i do all the images there's there on occasion i've uh, uh i've had one of my friends uh make what are called like machinimas those animated those animated battle scenes that you also see in kings and generals so that's to add just something fun you know and he he had he did an amazing job for me on those but other than that, I mean, I I'm the only one behind the the uh, behind the screen. In fact, that's why, to be honest, right now I'm so tired because I was up late last night working on a video that I'm going to try to put out by the middle of this week. So I it, it is it is uh it does take a while for to make each video, but if uh, as long as people are like benefiting from them, I I have no plans of stopping, and I'm it just as I said, it motivates me to put out more. Well, I appreciate your videos. I appreciate you coming on my show. Um, My pleasure. No, pleasure is mine. I'm honored. This has been a great, a great chat. And 
I'm, I'm quite happy that there wasn't anything prepared. We were just sort of able to talk like two people having a conversation. I learned a lot just from listening to you. And if you are listening, go check out History with Sai on YouTube. And then there's a History with Sai podcast that goes into more depth with the, uh, the things that he talks about. And if you want to support him, there's a Patreon that you can do that with. I'm going to go ahead and end the show as I always do. And remember, try to live your life in a way that would make Mr. Rogers proud. And we'll talk to you next time. Mr. Rogers is from Pittsburgh, my hometown. Yes, Mr. Rogers is one of my heroes. Oh, really? I, you know, I've been to, sorry, I know you we have to go, but I've actually been to the, to his studio when I was a kid. We visited his studio and, uh, you know, the, the place, the, the castle, and I got to see the king and the owl. And it, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, so yeah, I remember that. Your cool factor just went up with me a ton. So <laughs> he, he's a local boy. He's a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's that was shot in all that was all shot in Pittsburgh, and yeah, we, we had gone on a field trip there actually when I was that, young. So that's incredible. That's another super duper thing that you were able to add quality content <laughs> to this podcast. But anyway, we'll talk to everybody next next week and have a great time. <laughs>